Hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Today I have Andre Lesnitsky. Hopefully I said that correctly. He is a Flutter developer uh, based in Belarus. And I recently ran into his package, which uh, I believe it flashes red when there's some jank in iOS. And I thought that was super interesting. And so I wanted to bring you on to talk about the package and talk more about the performance of Flutter. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. So why don't you do a quick intro for yourself? Go ahead. Okay. Um, so hello. Um, my name is Andre. I'm based in the Flutter developer. I'm based in Belarus. I've been working with Flutter for more than three years already. Um, and I absolutely love this framework. Um, but sometimes, well, not sometimes, previously, um, I've been working with web technologies a lot. And, but I always was focused on, uh, on the performance and optimize every single, um, piece of UI so that all animations are smooth and can run at maximum capabilities. Um, and yeah, um, that's what I'm doing Flutter as well. I'm very focused on application performance. Sometimes um, these things also are just not enough. So um, that's why sometimes you could also build something custom. Yeah. So what? Where? What did you actually? Is Flutter your very first kind of uh, mobile framework that you've been working with, or did you work with Android before? Uh, no, not really. My previous background with uh, mobile development is uh, React Native. Um, so I don't have like a real um, experience with native frameworks, UI frameworks. I've built a couple of plugins uh, using native code for Flutter. Uh, but um, yeah, so um, my first experience with programming in general is uh, web development. So I went to, uh, like into React development and then React Native came out and I was also interested in mobile development. So I tried that and later on, um, I guess we will figure it out based on my search that I'm into cross platform mobile development and Flutter started popping up on my newsfeed and that's how I learned that it exists. So what were you seeing on your newsfeed exactly? Um, it's just a, like, it, I don't, I don't think that was an ad, but, um, uh, when I, when I was scrolling through the news on Google, um, I saw a page which said, Hey, here's the new framework developed by Google. It's, uh, you can build cross platform mobile applications with it. And I never heard of it before. So that's why. I got curious and uh, went through the getting started guide. Thanks, thankfully, it, it's really easy to get started with. And then I was just blown away with how well was tooling even like three years ago. Hot reload just works. Everything works. Nice integration with VS Code. Like you don't need to use Android Studio or Xcode. And I'm used to VS Code. So that was major factor that made me fell in love with this framework. <laughs> Yeah, but even for like React Native, I don't think you really need to use Xcode and all that, or am I wrong? Yeah, but React Native, for example, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that things got better over time. And now it's a whole different story for React Native. But back then, in three years ago, 
I couldn't mm-hmm. ever set up hot reload, hot code reload for React Native without something breaking. Um, and that's a major factor that uh, affects your productivity. And in Flutter, it just works. It never breaks. It's uh, It works out of the box and uh, it's just perfect. Well, sometimes during your major code refactoring, so you could do something that um, Dartian couldn't reload, but then it's just a matter of a single uh, hot restart instead of hot reload. And that's it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one. That was like the first episode I did on this podcast was talking about my experience with React Native, where it was just like you just upgrade one package and then everything is busted. And it was just such a horrible experience. Yeah. Uh, what about the performance within uh, React Native, though? Um, were you actually spending a lot of time kind of also debugging issues with that, too, or no? Well, Flutter and React Native, they have different approaches onto how the actual UI works. So uh, when you're like um, dropping a scroll view inside a application, for when, when you're using React Native, it's a, an actual native. Uh, scroll. The father implements scrolling and all the animations uh, on the framework level, and then goes through the whole um, whole bunch of layers to get things drawn on the on the screen. Um, what I think was um, beneficial when when you compare Flutter and React Native is that the inspiration React Native uh, it's also um, factor that could affect your performance because you need to pass data down to native and then um, process this data on the native layer and like instantiate some views, etc. And Flutter doesn't have this layer. It just goes directly to the render range. So I think one more reason why um, I've migrated from React Native to Flutter is that I believe that architecturally uh, Flutter has a like um, a better chance of being more performant than React Native. And then also like Tart can compile to native code, JavaScript is, um, it's interpreted, but also it's uh, being compiled for V8, for example, but then on iOS, there is no uh, V8, there is JS Core. I know Facebook is doing an amazing job rewriting a whole bunch of modules in, uh, in C, I believe, or C++, I, I don't really know. But again, things might have changed um, during these three, three years, but back then, Flutter was an obvious choice. So you're saying, if, if I heard, remember correctly, right, you said that performance really wasn't something you were looking at because of the way that React Native was? The applications that I was building were really straightforward, um, like not really performance critical, just simple scroll views. Um, with uh, lists of data, uh, with some grids, etc. But in Flutter, since you can control literally every single pixel, you might get in the wrong direction when building your application because of um, because of how um, Flutter works. I mean, um, in terms of if you use Flutter abstractions in the wrong way, it could be um problematic to um to find the issue when you're just getting started with the framework so you have to learn some approaches and what to use and when in order to avoid those performance issues 
maybe we can sort of talk about like your first time that you started getting some performance problems and how you start to debug this, right? Do you remember when you first started to kind of see some issues? Um, well, <laughs> I have a bunch of stories. Like I think we, we all came up with some, some performance issues, but um, like a couple of weeks ago, um, as a side project, like a quick weekend hack, um, I was curious if it's possible to build an Android launcher in Flutter and turned out that it is possible. And well, first thing that launcher should do is launch applications and you need to render a grid of, uh, icons of the application that are installed on your device. And one more thing is that your launcher should be really smooth because that's something that you're using a lot and you want to navigate quickly and it's just like the first impression of the device when you when you go to like to a store um to try some device and holding your hand you're using the launcher of the device to, that's that's the very front edge of the <laughs> of the device um and turned out that um on a 120 hertz display, a simple grid view with just like 16 icons, uh, it couldn't scroll like at 130, uh, 120 FPS. And that's when I realized that that's a good time for profiling. Um, and yeah, I found out some issues. But that's interesting too, because I know that Flutter never makes the claim that they can do 120, but they always say that you can do comfortable 600 or sorry, 60 FPS, right? So why did you think that 120 would be possible necessarily, right? That's double what they already say that you can do. No, I think there is no such limitation. And that, that headline on the Flutter <laughs> website that we promise you 60 FPS, that doesn't mean that um, Flutter is not capable of 120. 60 FPS is just a maximum for uh many displays that's 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 the limit you couldn't uh you couldn't go higher because displays won't won't able to aren't able to refresh at the higher rate but again um, a lot of time have passed and modern devices they usually come with 90 hertz or 120 and um it's it's arguable that difference between 60 and 120 is so noticeable but me personally, I have, I can feel the difference, and it's just painful for me to not have like <laughs> um, steady maximum FPS. You notice that, Jeff. and that makes your overall impression of the application a bit different. Maybe I'm like, too idealistic in a way um, because I really care about the the way application feels, not just looks, but also feels while while you use it. Um, but yeah, yeah. For the, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting because I always thought that you could never really get 120 or anything higher than 60 because I thought they kind of cap it at that for whatever reason, or they just say this is what you're going to get. But you're saying that there's basically no limit to the refresh rate. It just depends on the screen that you have. Is that what I hear? Yeah, basically, basically there is, um, in theory, there is no limit. And we should really um, understand what's actually this term means, frames per second. And what it means that the picture on the device changes 
60 or 120 times per second on your device. And the underlying framework, be it native code or React Native or Flutter, it only has like 1000 millisecond divided by number of frames, this amount of time <laughs> to render each frame. And if the framework is capable of doing all the work in that timeline of a 16 milliseconds or 8 milliseconds for 120 hertz displays, then it's it's doable. It's perfectly doable. And speaking of launcher, actually, I was looking at doing a launcher for a company out here that I know they they asked me to to look into doing a launcher for them, mm -hmm. and they were expecting that. Of course, I'd do that in Android, but of course, why would I do that when I can do it with Flutter? And I did look at it too, and it seems like it's definitely possible. And uh, I, how far did you get with your launcher, by the way? It was just like um, an experiment. I was I didn't have any plans to build something really. Um, all the features you can imagine in a launcher, there are a lot of them. I was just uh, curious if it's really possible to do in Flutter, because um, when you pick a technology for your project, you should know its limitations. And it turned out that um, there is no limits for that this exact um, kind of uh, application for Flutter. You just need to um, customize your native activities and uh, make sure that your application is transparent so it could be, so you could see the underlying wallpaper, etc. And that in general, it's uh, it's possible. I even I even saw uh, like an existing launcher written with Flutter that, that is published and usable. Did you try using that one to see how it feels? Um, no, not really. I was. Uh, curious about how would I approach this problem? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I think a lot of the configuration is just within the Android XML file, if I yeah. remember correctly. And there's a couple of APIs. There's a couple of APIs that you need to use, and there's already some packages on pub.dev that I saw. So I think nearly most of the work is there. It's just like you said, do a couple of things to make it work. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so when you're building this one, you said you ran into some problems with 120 hertz. Is that I remember we talked about. Yeah, um, so like a simple scroll gesture, it was causing, uh, I couldn't tell the difference between uh, a native pixel launcher and the simple group view with icons. Um, of course, you should expect um, graded performance in dev mode. So I profiled it in profile mode and built a release mode application. And the Flutter profiler, it's a, it's a awesome, it's an awesome tool for profiling. But when you, when you're trying to catch that exact one frame of, of a, of a lag, uh, what you see on the timeline is just, uh, the bars that, uh, keep going away <laughs> from you because the animation is still happening. And then it's, uh, kind of hard to, get back and even if you're um if you if you figure out the reason for for giant in this moment uh you could add more features and later on your performance could be degraded so i was thinking is there a way to um have like a visual indication of uh um, of a jank inside your application, like, because 
um, I think different people they um, they have different um, ways of uh, like have different perception, I guess. Um, and um, what I notice as a jank could not could be not noticed by uh, some other people. But you have a precise metric that could say that this exact frame it didn't render under the time constraint of 16 millisecond or 8 millisecond. So that's why I built this uh, widget that you could just drop into your application and it will flash your screen red when an exact frame was failed to was failing to render under that constraint. Okay, so how, how does that actually work? Because I'm, I'm really curious about how you hook into this stuff. Um, yeah, actually, when I shared this on Twitter, um, I've got a couple of responses um, that there are better APIs that suit this. Uh, and also one more valid response was that the widget itself, it could be causing a, a bit of an overhead, which might affect the performance. But in general, um, how it works is that um, under the hood, it uses the schedule binding uh, with, and adds persistent uh, frame callback. Um, this is a function that is being called on each frame. So whenever Flutter tries to render something, this function is called. Um, and what you what I what I'm doing here uh, is just um, like measuring the uh, duration of each frame, um, comparing to the desired uh, frame rate, and um, if the frame was rendered, it took more time to render down than I wanted to be rendered. Then the widget just renders the red container, <laughs> but you can have a right color. You can have it display not as an overlay but in any um, position on, 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 a, on the screen so it's it's customizable so how long did it take you to build something like that i mean you must have taken some time to read all the apis etc right yeah actually since i was focused on the application itself this widget uh, it took me like five minutes to build i guess <laughs> and then i decided like okay if it's um if it's this is something that uh, I used to to the advantage of the uh, the better performance. Then why shouldn't I share it and publish it as a separate package? I really love how easily it is to create a new package and drop in some code, write a readme, and Flutter pub publish. That's it. Done. What was the responses from people? Are they saying this is cool or this is a waste of time? Or like you said, it seems like some people said, hey, there's better ways to do this. Um, what I think um, about the responses is I'm probably not getting all the responses. Um, I'm not seeing like a lot of toxic people. And I think if somebody just don't love the idea, uh, doesn't love the idea, then, it, then this person just ignores what's happening. And so most of the responses were positive. Uh, um, I think as a developer tool, it might be not that useful because you already have a profiler built into to DevTools, Flutter DevTools. And that's the main instrument that you will be using uh, for measuring the performance of profiling your application. Um, what this uh, widget might be 
useful for is for visualizing your actual performance bottleneck in your application. Because um, when we are using the same app, we are building the app and we are using the same app, our testing team is also using the same app all, all, all the time, every day. And you just get used to what you see. And when a new customer, new user comes to and installs the application, starts using it, uh, uh, it feels different for a new person, new, new user. And um, so I figured, what if you just throw in this widget and leave it there and um, get the app to the, for example, product owner and um, see the confusion on the face when she's trying, he or she's trying to use the application and sees that giant red flash on the screen, um, then probably a question will come, what's that? And you can like, say that this is our performance problems. We should fix it. <laughs> so this is probably a way to buy you some time for actual performance optimization or feature building. <laughs> uh, wait, so this is something that you would actually leave. You're, you're thinking that you should actually leave this into the build and give this to the consumer in the end. And then I think that that's, yeah, it should, it shouldn't definitely be left in the production role, but, but, um, in, uh, in development cycle, you'd probably have, uh, um, a couple of testing rounds and just continuous deployments uh, before you release an actual application. You could, or it could be even a single build but with this widget built in where you can just uh, use the app to actually see those problems. Okay, so you're like, if somebody were to integrate this into their work environment, then how would you think they would use this? You're saying like they would have like a, some kind of, I don't know what you would call this profile build or something that would be something that the testers or the product manager would be playing with and then they would see the flashes and we yeah i think that that could be just a different flavor uh different flavor of a build where you just check if uh, that's this is kind of a build we're trying to test and this widget should be present in a tree and otherwise it's not now is this something that can be put in and out of the tree like with a simple command somewhere and then you could actually leave this within your tree say like if you have a certain environment variable or something it depends on the way you want to integrate because like it's very easy to wrap the whole tree but you can also have it in a in individual components or uh, parts of the tree so for example if you're building like you have all, all existing views already working but then you're building something new you could leave it you could leave it there but the the whole idea is very arguable uh, in terms of should we have this in our, like, even for testers. But as a one-time thing, just to notice those uh, performance issues, like, it's it's really, it is really uh, hard to ignore that red flash <laughs> when you're trying to interact with, with your application. And what seems unnoticeable when you use your application every day, uh, it's actually there, the performance degradation. Over, over time and that's how you can bring the attachment to the problem so have you actually used this within your own teams or this is something that you just kind of played around with um no um as of my team we are not actually working on, uh, on applications where i'm um, i work at invertase we're um maintaining flutterfire and building 
Firebase plugins. And I'm focused on um, Firebase UI, Spotify UI, which is a, as I think that's the UI library that you can use to uh, easily build the uh, authentication flows and also have some integration with Cloudfire Store or um, Firebase data, database. Um, so answering your question, no, we are not using this in our code because we're not actually building applications, but. Is there any plans to make any more updates to this or it's just kind of like release and just let people have at it? I don't think there's uh, really much to add because um, existing tools, uh, Flutter profile, they're hard to compete with because the actual Flutter team is focusing on, on those tools. And what the community can bring is just an alternative, which is which could be used uh, a bit easier, maybe, because um, usually we're just working on dev mode and then we create a release build and that's it. Uh, but to profile your application, you should be like, building a special variant of a build to profile mode and then open the dev tools. And you, you're probably not doing this every day. You just get get worked down, give a new feature and move on. Yeah. Uh, uh, so can we talk more about kind of uh, what typical performance problems do you think that most developers are run into and how to fix those? In any UI development framework, there are several areas of uh, performance uh, issues and their reasons. And the, the first one would be actual, like, yeah, it's relevant not only to Flutter, but also to React or React Native, or maybe uh, Act Compose, I don't know, CFTUI. Um, all these frameworks are built on the idea that you could express the whole UI tree in your code, but then and when user interacts with your application or you get a response from a server, you need to reflect this action in your UI. And um, sometimes um, the way you build your application, it could uh, trigger the update of a tree in an unoptimized manner where you're actually rebuilding uh, a larger part of the application um, comparing to what you what you really need to rebuild. So the first um, like best practice, I guess, and the first reason of the performance degradation might be that you're rebuilding what's not necessary to be rebuilt. And all frameworks are trying to figure out that, okay, this part of the tree, we wouldn't touch an actual UI uh, after the update. But still, uh, there's comparisons, they all, they take time and you could help the underlying framework, um, by like in a way you structure your application, you can help the underlying framework to figure out what exactly should be updated and don't touch anything else. And then, um, second issue, uh, which might be related to, uh, uh, your performance problems 
Um, this is this may be specific to my past experience, uh, but both in Bab and in React Native Flutter, I've come into a situation where the app had uh, degraded performance because I was using um, like a lot of images which are being downscaled. So if you have an icon which is 256 by 256, you shouldn't load a 4K image and downscale because it's a, it's a heavy operation. And that's why, that's why uh, you need to have images in a different dimensions in your bundle or in the server so you can request specific sizes. And a whole lot of uh, uh, software as a services built on on, uh, on, a, on the idea that you could be having this problem and you need to uh, have an image of an exact size on the plot. So you just upload a single image and then um, depending on, on your request, you get different dimensions back. Um, what else? What else? I think when it comes to Flutter, it all comes to um, the size of the update on each frame. And that's why um, scroll controllers exist. Um, that's why um, we have all these mechanisms of uh, um, being able to acquire part of, uh, of the data, I guess, um, by inherited widget or inherited model or all kinds of frameworks like provider, report, etc. They all um, tend to solve the problem of uh, um, get the exact data you need and react to exact data you, you, you got. And not just rebuild the whole tree. And even the um, default Hello World application in Flutter, this is count, this counter app. Um, it could be built a bit more efficiently because um, the default application. I know, I know this is uh, not that critical, and you won't notice the problem because Flutter is capable of rebuilding that size of the tree. But then, if this is um, something that comes out of the box, and as a default example, uh, newcomer could have an, uh, an impression that this is the, the right way of doing, doing things. And the way this default application works, it rebuilds the whole tree on each um, button press. But you only need to update text inside, inside the view. Yeah, I think I've seen this widget recently. I was trying to find it that I never knew about. And that, I believe, is what you're kind of hinting at, or that is definitely something that can solve it. It's some type of builder, right? Yeah, the, the amount of builders. Widget builder, is that what it is? Sorry? No, no, not widget builder. I'm just trying to think of the name of that of that builder. I think it's called a builder. It's some kind of like it comes with its own set state function. Yeah, state builder. It it depends on uh, it's called state builder? Yeah, it's called state builder. Stateful builder, I think it is. Stateful widget builder, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was recently used on the Flutter Weekly. Um Widget of the Week, I think. Yeah, that's why I knew about it. I, I never knew about this. I was like, wow, this is actually very interesting. 
and uh, never even thought something like this, but that totally makes sense. Yeah, so um, we could the narrow boundary problem uh, of a performance to um, to state management, right? Because uh, if you're trying to manage your state in a, in a way where you rebuild the whole tree on each update, that's definitely not the way to do it. And that's why state management libraries exist. Uh, as you mentioned, there is a state build, stateful builder and there are a lot of other kinds of builders inside the Flutter framework. Very listenable builder, animated builder, etc., etc. And uh, when it comes to state management, I think um, like there are a lot of options, there are the libraries, but an actual state management part is already solved by built-in obstructions. And that is, that is, that should be enough for, for the, for the developer. If you really understand how a flutter works under the hood and what we should have instead of state management libraries, we should more really care about the data flow, not the state management. And all these builders that come out of the box of flutter, they should be enough to, to have, um, to have your, UI updates in place. And what's really important is how you structure the data flow in your application. And these builders, they're just like some kind of a hoop, some kind of a wire between your UI, UI and your data model. Yeah, I, in the question sheet that you uh, put in some notes, you did say that you have a very unpopular opinion about state management. I think that's what you're starting to get into. Is that right? Yeah, so as I partially said, the existing state management libraries, they're cool and all, but I don't really understand why they exist because there are tons of widgets inside Flutter that already solves a problem. Flutter comes with value identifier as a way to have some kind of a, it's a, it's an abstraction that when it updates, it emits the notification and you know that update happened. And exactly for that reason, there is a very listenable build. The change notifier could be listed with an animated build. Then we have stateful builder to sort of a isolated update inside the widget tree. And inherited widgets, inherited models, inherited notifiers. It's a lot already. <laughs> and maybe these all, of, all these abstractions are not very handy to use. You, you might need to write a little bit more of code. But um, the state management libraries, um, some of them, I think, um, are getting the right approach of, being, of separating an actual like, uh, part where you work with data. And you could use those libraries uh, outside of Flutter. But then they have Flutter bindings built on top of those abstractions that I mentioned previously. But in general, um, so if you ask me what I'm personally using as a state management library in my own project, I'm not using any state management library because it's enough for me to have what other comes with. And instead, I'm um, implementing my own data flow framework and organizing the code in a way where um, when a widget requests for data, the, the whole flow built in such a way that 
um, UI update will happen in a certain place in the tree where it should happen. That's interesting, right? I think I think uh, Matt Carroll is doing kind of something similar. Um, can we? Can you talk more about like how do you actually design your flow? Because I think the the value of what state management systems bring is they try to make it very clear about how you should manage your code and how you should handle state. Some type of pattern, right? That's what the way I kind of see most of them. Yeah, but in general, in general, a good framework, as in my understanding, well, in my definition of a good framework, it should be built in a way and provide such an API that is that is hard for developer to use in a wrong way and to place things in, the, in places where they don't belong. Like you certainly don't need to go like back and on your build method, right? But Flutter doesn't limit you from, from doing that. Uh, of course, uh, if you really understand what's going on in your application, you won't do that. But for a newcomer, it could be confusing, especially when um, like you don't have any experience with, uh, with, with, with such frameworks as React or Flutter. It's sometimes hard to understand where to place things, like where, where you should certain piece of functionality to leave it. And one more thing here, it's more of a like structural thing um, rather than performance related. But when you build your uh, application, I think it's really important to have as many independent UI components as you can imagine. So what I came up with is that, um, and then also a different topic at typeset. <laughs> so um, existing frameworks, they often provide you with a way to query thing via build context, right? Like you can have a provider, you can have inherited widget, even this built-in abstraction like inherited widget, it gives you a way to query your widget tree for things. Um, but this is not typeset because each individual widget, it knows that it requires this data, but there is no way to guarantee that this data was provided on top of the widget tree. So you either end up with a bunch of null checks and empty states, for example, but instead, um, what I'm doing in my applications is um, I'm defining sort of a uh, receive broadcast pattern where each widget defines a receiver uh, and broadcast. So, uh, for example, each listener on a button, it broadcasts an action, some, some sort of an action. And each rise to a broadcast, it returns um, a status or a stream of statuses, which you also could be listening to to update your eye. So like a simple example of a button, when you press it, the request to a server happens, and then you show a loading indicator and actual data. But data is a, is a different part of the tree. Let's focus on the button. What you need here is to show the loading indicator when the data is loading, right? So the broadcast, which is being passed down to a widget, digital and so on, doesn't know anything about this loading button, doesn't know anything about the um, outside world, it just has this broadcast, instance of a broadcast. 
and it just calls its write method. And write method, it returns the uh, stream of statuses, which is which you can listen to, and update the this button accordingly. And exactly in the place where you need to. So you don't rebuild the whole button, you just rebuild the the content of the button, the child of the button. So you replace the text with the loading indicator. Sounds a little bit similar to block when I think about it. Yeah, it's similar to block, but <laughs> a block is also um, it's it's a it's a good library, but um, doesn't force you to um, like it defines the best practice of organizing your code. Like you have block listeners, you have actions, etc. Uh, but it still doesn't limit you from doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. Um, I'm not sure if it makes, makes sense, but I've seen a lot of projects w which were using block, but in terms of separation of concerns, in terms of code structure, um, the whole thing didn't make any sense. So what, what, what it means is, even existing like documentation and a lot of tutorials, a lot of uh, I don't know, the whole library, it doesn't limit you from doing the wrong thing in one place. And that's important thing, I guess. Yeah, but in that case, I mean, you could basically misuse anything. I don't see how, uh, I mean, without having some type of uh, consistent pattern. Yeah, it's, um, I'm not saying that it is even possible to have like a 100% safe um, a safety when it comes to using the wrong thing in the wrong place, except for maybe when it uh, uh, relies upon some mathematical model which uh, which could be proven that is correct. Um, but I guess. Um, what I'm trying to achieve is that uh, UI is not should not be aware of anything except for um, some channels where UI could read from and where to write to, and that's it. And the rest of the call it state management or data flow management or whatever, um, it should be handled somewhere else and completely decoupled from the UI. Yeah, that's what I think the point of these state manager systems are, some type of way to to pull it from there. Like, I'm most familiar with blocks, so the fact that I have my business logic somewhere else, and then all I care about is if I get this state, then I use this. If I get that state, then I do this. That makes it very simple for me. And then I could put an arbitrary stream there and then just start spitting out state and check to see, does it render properly? And that's separating the way I render it versus the way I handle things, right? Yeah, right. So, but I guess as long as you, I mean, of course, there's more than one way to do that, right? I mean, maybe, maybe putting the, I think uh, Thomas came on the show and he was really against block and that's fine. And his kind of whole thing was like, we shouldn't be putting business logic into the widget tree. Okay, valid. I think that makes sense. Um, but uh, yeah. It's also arguable because like the whole tree is not just UI tree, it's also um, tree of relations of your data on different levels. So I think in some cases it's fine to mix those things, but um, 
for me, the most valid point is uh, like type safety and querying something via build context is not type safe in any way. And best case scenario is it that you will have now returned from the context and you should explicitly check for it. But if I know for like, I'm 100% sure that now is not a valid uh, value in a, in a certain piece of a widget tree, then this check should be redone. And it's there for the whole, for the only reason. And the reason is that in a certain widget, you couldn't be sure that the upper tree conf is configured in a certain way, in the right way, so that your widget could be integrated inside this place. And then when you try, you, you think your widget is independent from the rest of the widget tree, and you try to move it in a different place inside your application, and it shows an error or it shows this like empty state UI, etc. And then you try trying to figure out what's going on, and you come to to a decision that okay, I should like shift this block or provider or whatever a little bit higher. But in in my perfect world, <laughs> this shouldn't happen. If the widget is already built in a way it should it could be used in any place of, of application, then there should be a way to use it. And you you just like passing down to to a widget an instance of a of a channel where you can read from and where you can write to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that that, that, that makes sense. I think the, the point is this is that you need to have some type of pattern. And whatever pattern makes sense for you, then that really I think is what's most important, right? Yeah. Well patterns are useful in protocols because if you're following the same uh, rules, then you can build more things on top of it, like even the whole UI, um, I don't know, application builder studio where <laughs> you're just taking uh, the widgets inside the canvas and it just magically works because everything implements certain protocol convention implements the pattern. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think I have any more questions for you. I actually, I need to end it because I have another commitment right after this. Uh, I do appreciate your time coming on okay. and uh, you're, I think I may dig into your, your package and see exactly how it works. I'm quite curious in terms of the real technical specific, specificity of it. And, uh, yeah, maybe I would use it. I don't know. I have to see. Um, so far, I don't really profile stuff until somebody complains. I just let it kind of be. Um, but usually it's actually a, more of a network issue than rather like a display issue because most of my apps I'm building are quite simple, I think. But, yeah, I've also experienced the issue of, like, like you said, taking a very high-resolution image and downsizing it. And that I agree. And that one's a little bit hard to see until you actually profile it, until you actually see and kind of remove the image and then see how it works and then put it back in and see, okay, that's what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate uh, you can come on and thank uh, you too. I think your package is very interesting. Like I said, and you know, hopefully maybe it can give some more, how you say this, maybe it's going to inspire some more people to also work into the performance area and see if we can figure out how to solve more issues. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> thank you again.